0: We're big believers in globalisation and the world working together as one to fill a need and our purpose is as a company is to change lives and we do that you know, for our people by providing the best of workplace conditions or workplace environment. For our customers, we give them tools for scaling their business like they would have never had access to before, so it changes the lives of customers as well.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy.
2: Today I'm speaking with and learning from Mike Self. Mike's the CEO at Smart Sourcing based out of Cebu in the Philippines. Clearly a purpose-led organization. They're, they're in the business to change lives. Mike had been a, an executive in an outsourcing organization before he started Smart Sourcing. And when he started it in like 2015, they've grown 100% year over year mostly through referrals, and now their VA base, their virtual assistant base in Cebu at 50% of their employees come through referrals. So we talk about the challenges of growing a business at 100% year over year, there are about 350 people now. So it's starting to become even more of a challenge. They get work orders, if you like, from clients that the clients want them to move quickly on. So they've, they've reduced to a third their time it takes to go from vacancy to onboarding. So we talk a little bit about the recruitment challenges there. We also talk about building a great place to work, which is, it doesn't matter whether you're in Cebu in the Philippines or whether you're in London or New York or San Francisco, what does a great place to work look like? What does a great employee experience look like? We talk a little bit about that. And then we spend a bit of time talking about disaster recovery or business continuity. Because on the 16th of December last year, Cebu was hit by the third largest tropical storm in the Northern Hemisphere's history. And about a third of Mike's team completely lost their houses. More than half had substantial damage. But when a third of your team are rendered homeless and you have to put them and their extended families up in hotels, it's a challenge most of us won't ever face. So I chat to Mike a little bit about how they got through that and what the outcome of that has been for the organization and the employees. Great conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.
0: Hi, Dom. Mike Self is my name. I'm from Smart Sourcing. I have the honor and privilege to be the managing partner for Smart Sourcing, uh, leading 350 people and growing um, to support businesses around the world in their offshore processing um business process administration is what we do um, business process outsourcing so we're a values driven company with a winning culture of togetherness and leadership and continuous improvement um, And a company that uh, exists to be of services to many people as, as we possibly can
2: and where are you where are you based
0: right now i'm based in our office here in the philippines but i reside in melbourne australia
2: okay I'm intrigued then, why do you and I work together? Because outside of this podcast, you know, I support you and the team with some business coaching, but why did why did you pick a coach from the other side of the world?
0: Because we hunted you down, John. <laughs> uh, John we uh, searched uh, wide and far, cast the net wide and far. I just think um, being a purpose-driven company that we are with a vision, you know, we were looking for a coach that was aligned with or had achieved what we're aiming to achieve in their Experience and um, and also was um, subscribed, I guess, into you know an endorsement of the scaling up framework or operating system as we refer to it.
2: You've ended up in a sort of specialised niche in Australia. You're the number one outsourcer of back office processes for real estate. How did you end up in in that niche?
0: Yeah, I think we in sort of uh, in the incubator phase, we we chose whom we thought would be the elite of respective industries to participate in the business blueprint of smart sourcing. And with that, we proved ourselves to be a great service provider. And from there, you know, from starting with a few people, we expanded to you know, I think over 250 staff servicing the uh, real estate industry here in Australia.
2: What do you say, 300? 300
0: 350.
2: Today. And you're growing... At about a hundred percent year over year?
0: Year over year, yeah. Since the start. Yeah. So
2: and so when did you when did you start?
0: In two thousand and fifteen.
2: And how was COVID for the organization? Did that did you carry on growing or did you pause for a bit?
0: I think we went took one step backwards and, and about three steps forward. COVID was a disruptor for for all business all over the world. So for us from an FTE perspective, we um, hours were cut because businesses were closed. You know, we're in lockdown, so it was a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction, I guess, from most businesses. But um, yeah, you know, we scaled you know, from at that time we were 200 staff start of the pandemic or just under. So we, from an FTE perspective, hours were reduced to 100 equivalent to 120. FTE. So, yeah, that was the step backwards. Um, But from that, you were already, I guess, experiencing around the world a digital disruption, but that was really um, hit with a sledgehammer (laughs) in terms of the way in which we operate. Working remotely became a thing, more of a thing. The way we meet, um, if we were not experienced previously meeting on via Zoom or via video conference, then I think everyone is now.
2: I was going to say a particular challenge for you to bro- work remotely in the Philippines, the you know the local infrastructure. Being remote from an office in Australia in a city like Cebu, not too challenging from a technical perspective, but once your team are at home, it must have been people were on mobile phones and all sorts of...
0: Yeah, that's right. So you know, domestically, the infrastructure certainly is not as sound as what we could provision in a... You know in a building with uh redundancy measures such as on-site backup generators and concurrent uh isp services as well running so there's not those redundancies in place so yeah it was difficult but we were able to to, to overcome that
2: given that infrastructure does that mean in this sort of new world that you're you'll end up being fully back in the office in Cebu and smart sourcing it'll be as it was before
0: yeah, absolutely. I think everyone wants to be back in the office. Um, you know, we've been st- stuck in our caves for so ever so long. I mean, I say not, when I say everyone, maybe not everyone. I think there's probably uh, some that have got quite comfortable uh, working from home, but we would say get comfortable being uncomfortable. And most people want to enjoy the collaboration uh, environment that we provide.
2: Let me go back to the purpose. What's the purpose of the organization? Why did you set the business up? Why does it exist?
0: We're big believers in globalization and the world working together as one to fill a need. And we do that by, I guess, our purpose is as a company is to change lives. And we do that for our people by providing the best of workplace conditions or workplace environment for our customers we give them tools for scaling their business like they would have never had access to before. So, you know, it changes the lives of of our customers as well.
2: And the situation you're in in the Philippines, I think this is true. Uh, I think we we'll just talked to your business partner, Sadie, uh, about it a little while ago. A lot of your employees are single mums. Yes. And so, you know, you've got that legacy, access to birth control, single mums, and you're giving them a way out. You know, you're pulling those people who want to give themselves a leg up and, you know, do the right thing and earn money and be the breadwinner. That must give you some challenges though, hiring that demographic.
0: Definitely. But we also find if you provision in a way that supports those social challenges, they can also be your greater strength. And I think that's been proven by the fact we our, our workforce consists of 80% female. <laughs> and 80% women, large percentage of those being mums and single mums. But, um, yeah, so it's all, all part of our provisioning is to, to accommodate that. They're great workers, the best workers.
2: And So recruitment, your biggest challenge? Yes. The whole sort of uh, great place to work. What's it, What's that journey been like, trying to create some local brand around being a great place to work to attract great people?
0: Yeah, it's been... Uh, incredible. I think we've worked a lot on it together uh, throughout the past, the past year. I think a lot of what we were doing internally would be recognised externally as great pla- by great place to work, but we just hadn't taken that path. So I think in the last 12 months, to be able to actually be given that accreditation or certification as the best place to work you know, with HR Asia, best employer uh, in, the, in the whole of the Philippines. It's nice to receive that sort of acknowledgement, but in uh, with a brand that's from HR Asia, but with great place to work, which is more internationally recognised as a brand, to be certified and get a score of ninety three as compared to the average of uh, uh, global average of fifty three, you know, I think that's a, you know, a huge, um, a, a great acknowledgement.
2: I did talk to a number of people about one of your staff benefits potentially the most unusual staff benefit of 2021 which was um free company oxygen
0: uh, <laughs> yeah in a year of the pandemic the delta strain yes yeah when the hospitals were overflowing sadly i mean i would hate to, to be um in that position ever again it was the predicament that we, we were in and uh with the hospitals overflowing and yeah, I never thought part of our provisioning would be to procure oxygen for those families uh, within our workforce that were sent home from the hospital and unable to get access to you
2: know, oxygen. So it wasn't even for employees; it was for really for the parents of your employees. So you take a you take a more holistic view of family.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, de- definitely, um, and I, I guess we refer to it as a community and that a community is our employees, but it's also that the families and the and the loved ones of our employees. So yeah, for sure. Our social uh, support extends to them as well.
2: What else do you have by way of benefits that even outside of your organisation, other people might look at and say, that would be a good benefit to have?
0: What we're passionate about, Dom, is, is, if you think of the best of working conditions for, you know, by world standard anywhere in the world, what would that look like? And when you when you identify with that and you place that in a developing country such as the Philippines, then um, it would cons- uh, be consistent with private healthcare. It would be consistent with um, breakfast in the morning, lunch in the afternoon, in-house barista, social events, arcade. Uh, hall for the lunch breaks and a um, little bit Google s I guess it uh, is is somewhat the model, so you know if that's good for Google, then why isn't it good for for smart sourcing and in developing world
2: and I think that whole build your brand attract the best people you've got a technology core, but you're a you're a services business, and so you're looking to attract and retain the best people, otherwise you wouldn't be growing. You know, your existing clients wouldn't be growing with you 100% year over year. What do you measure from a recruitment perspective? You know, thinking of recruitment as your biggest challenge, how do you go to market to solve that? Because, look, all over the world, clients that I work with or people I speak to see recruitment as their biggest challenge. So how are you in a position where, you know, you know, confidently you can hire another 350 people in the next 12 months?
0: Yeah, so... I think it's the brand that you have locally here in the Philippines so from example you have an ENPS score above 70 you know the great place to work certified HR Asia best employer glass door rating of 4.8 they're all the things that I guess build your brand and um, that if someone was to look for employment then they're shopping you as well and that's how we attract the cream so we believe that if we continue doing what we're doing, it's not rocket science, if we continue being of good service to, to, to good people, then they will stay and most of our recruitment recruits are by referral. So that's 50% of our staff we hire would be by a referral. So you've got good people, good people and, and then obviously um, more broadly, you know, we um, have new talent coming in as well.
2: You've also sort of industrialized the hiring and onboarding process and you're down to 10 days from CV to hire now, are you?
0: Correct. Yeah.
2: And so where was it? It was
0: 28 days when we first started together. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And so that's no no reduction in talent, no reduction in quality, but good people are in short supply. So when you spot one, hoover them up quickly because otherwise they'll get another job offered by somebody else. You've got a backlog of work for them to do. So, what what have you done to get you know your hiring process down to ten days?
0: Deeper talent pools um, and you know, refinement in the process for sure, but just strengthening your brand, as in how you look after people and being better, being um, uh, you know having greater referability. I guess yeah you know, is what's made it a lot easier. Just shorten the turnaround. So. Instead of having to do a campaign and advertise, you know, externally to attract the right talent, we've got people queuing up at the door to get a gig.
2: Fab. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is, I guess, a challenge that probably very few other people listening will have had to endure. So I'm coming out to the Philippines in a couple of weeks to spend some time with you and the team we've been working together all the way through the pandemic on zoom so it'll be great to get together we were due to be out just before christmas but through a turn of fate a glitch in australian covid rules meant we cancelled the trip but then you know uh something even more i suppose impactful in many ways than than the pandemic happened to your business so talk us through the challenge that you had to face in and around the 16th of december last year
0: Yes, yeah, so go back a little bit, a few days before that, there was a ty- weather warning of a typhoon approaching Cebu. At which point it was a signal 2, highest being of a typhoon it would be a signal 5 um has been the most most severe. So we what we what we thought we were preparing for was a signal 2 typhoon to arrive in Cebu on the 16th of, of December, at this point I'd also just returned to Australia. So I'd, I, I was supposed to be meeting you, Dom, as well, but due to Omicron, we packed our bags and, um, and got home a bit earlier for Christmas, so we weren't stuck in quarantine. So um, lo and behold, because of that, I, I was back in Melbourne and um, I was watching on the weather radar this hours before the storm we were trying to be as prepared as we thought we could be, um, but hours before the storm, there was uh, it changed from a signal two to a signal five. <laughs> and uh, at a signal two, asked for an early minute from our customers and and uh, staff to go home and prepare for the storm, grab supplies. We rented some hotel rooms uh, to put people up in. Evacuated staff from the shorelines. As I said, what was a signal two. But when a few hours it once it hit landfall in Chargau it went to a signal five, we knew we were in for a bit more of a hell of a time and that the city was basically going to be flattened.
2: Wow. I was staggered by, you know, some of those people that you put into hotels and they went back the following day. And it's not as if it wasn't like the the roof had gone or the you know, we had storm Eunice in the UK a few weeks ago, you know, and a couple of people lost a garden shed or, you know, some some Lounge chairs got blown into their neighbor's garden, but your team went back and there was just nothing there. It was a bare patch of earth where the village had been.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. So it's been a it's been a very emotional period, as you can imagine. Christmas is a time of year that we want to gather with our families and celebrate um, with our loved ones. Uh, a special time of year, and you know it was the it was the contrary, and um, yeah, sadly. Uh, about 15 to 20 percent of people lost their homes within it just within our workforce and 50 percent of the 350 people had damage some damage to their homes but the grid was down we were without power without water the whole city for up to over a month and yeah, it was a bomb
2: site and also lots of people would always have generators because their power's somewhat flaky but you ran out of petrol as well so you know, it was just people were in darkness with no water for a for a month.
0: Correct. Yeah. When we realised it was gone from a signal two to a signal five, we pretty much had to repurpose our management team to go from leaders of operations or customer experience to water supply, you know, or relief goods, diesel um, for the vehicles, and to mobilise our search parties <laughs> and and um, we had someone in charge of just stocking up on stockpiling cash because there was no power anywhere in the city so there was only the ATMs that um, had backup generator you know either hotels or in IT precincts that um, you know where we could withdraw cash but the ATMs had 50 yeah, 50 meter lineups line just to get cash and you would only have a limit of you a certain amount of cash you could withdraw from one card. So we were loading up the cards of the staff, their bank accounts with as much money as we could, and then lining up with 15 cards to withdraw the maximum limit we could to stockpile cash, and therefore being able to mobilise diesel, relief goods, etc, to get out to our um, staff who you know, were doing it pretty tough.
1: So
2: look, you've, uh, you've set up a Charitable enterprise to try and recover from this. What are your aims there?
0: Thanks, Dole. I'd love to give a, give it a plug. So, um, repair homes, rebuild lives is the is the charity. Smart sourcing have partnered with Habitat for Humanity. Um, they're a global um, NGO, and with that, you know, we're trying to help as many people in the city of Cebu put a roof back on their over their head, one roof at a time. So, you can uh, donate to the charity happy to share the link following the podcast yeah
2: we'll put it in the show notes that would be fab what what impact did it have on your business
0: i mean i'm blown away by the resilience of 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 our people in our community and, and and the families so if you talk about impact are we is that question more in relation to social impact or business continuity
2: I was thinking a bit about sort of business continuity so i was thinking about you know your customers in australia what did they see as an impact and how did they respond to the disaster
0: yeah i mean, incredibly supportive as you'd um, appreciate in any calamity the way the human human us humans uh, get together and you know there's, there's a great level of empathy and support but at the same time i mean we had mission critical we didn't want to make already what was a bad problem worse. We had mission-critical uh, tasks such as payroll that we were responsible for for some, you know, 300, one, one examples of a you know, 400 uh, size organisation we were responsible for payroll. So we, that payroll can't wait for anyone. So we were on a skeletal workforce. We were operational the next day, but that was not without its challenges and, you know, without... Incredible resilience and um, and loyalty and support from the staff that we needed to to have working.
2: How long before you were back up to full full strength in the office?
0: I think it was business as usual within within the first week. Strangely, you know, but
2: it's incredible.
0: Yeah, it, it is. What would you think is on the surface? It's business as usual, but underneath that, you know, you've got social issues and post-traumatic stress and you know, general well-being of people to also consider. But on the customer-facing side, um, it was business as usual within within you know, a week and on a skeletal workforce within 24 hours but you know, full operation within a week, notwithstanding the you know, two to three months post that event and um, there's still a lot to contend with on a social level and we, amongst other private Chipping away at addressing that,
2: and is the is the the country's infrastructure all back up and running in and around Sabu? Yeah, it
0: is. Yeah, the grids back up, the power poles, all the power poles that uh, had fallen, and, and power lines, you know, internet provisioning, water, you know, the basic uh, essential utilities are, are back up and running. A lot of temporary repairs have been made. But I think, in terms of long-term sustainability, we need to build back better, and that's what the that's what the repair homes, rebuild lives is about. Not about just um, you know, putting temporary fixes such as tarpaulin back on your roof. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, let's build it back better and um, and for the long term as well.
2: We talked a little bit earlier about recruitment. So, has the response from Smart Sourcing to its own community then? Uh, I know you weren't doing it for this purpose, but you know, has it reinforced your your brand in in the community?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like any organisation. You can find a purpose and a great sense of fulfilment in giving, and then you give, and you, as you said, it's not the focus is not the transaction, but it, it it comes back, it rewards you tenfold, and we're seeing that, and that's you know, that's very fulfilling.
2: Has the disaster had an impact on on the economy? I mean, are there businesses that have gone bust or you know, got devastated and haven't bounced back or? Yeah, for sure.
0: There has been. Yeah, there has been a lot of that. But I guess it's sad because probably the smaller businesses have suffered that way, more so than the bigger operating uh, systems. So, you know, in terms of infrastructure, like all of the larger establishments, shopping centers, hotels, business precinct, you know, smart sourcing operates out of a high-rise building, we were not as affected. And so, but sadly, the the smaller infrastructure, smaller buildings, smaller businesses were badly affected.
2: Something that I think uh, would be good to talk about would be, look, your clients are, I know you said you do the payroll for a sort of 400 person organization, but most of your clients are small businesses, right? And so most of the time when people think about offshoring or outsourcing or business process outsourcing, you know, they're thinking about one large company doing it with another huge company. But in your case, this is, these are small businesses that you work with typically. And when I think about a small business, I think about my own business, or I think about, you know, businesses I've scaled. One of the things that has never been true about any of those businesses is we haven't really got any processes written down. And so if somebody said, I'm going to outsource this process, it'd be like, well, we have nothing to send them, right? There is, there is no, we could give them a login to our computers remotely, but we couldn't train them or how do you overcome that challenge and do it as successfully as you've done?
0: Yeah, so I think in a a caption, smart sourcing is a large enterprise outsourcing for SMEs. Our passion is SMEs. We want to work with businesses that want to scale, that see an opportunity for themselves to grow and in a more economical and scalable way. So globalisation is a thing <laughs> and and that is available to small to medium enterprise. But by the way, we follow Dom as a best practice approach to, to helping small business uh, on board and scale. And that is we have a discovery team that if you don't have all your processes mapped and documented, then we'll do that for you. And the reason we do that is because we have a smart sourcing way that works with a 100% success rate. That doesn't happen unless you have good systems and process. And we call it the smart sourcing way, but it's really our compliance. And so, if we were to work together, Dom, then we would have one of our discovery team members remote into your via Zoom and have you demonstrate whatever procedure that you're um, uh, needing performed. And we would record, you would share your screen, we would record you doing the pro, um, uh, completing the process and ask you lots of silly questions. From that, we take that recording away, and it becomes a tutorial video. And then we take that video and document it in a version-controlled procedure, send that back, pause it at different sections, the video, and take screenshots, mark it up, send it back to you in a, in a draft form for sign-off. And if we've done that, then uh, then we're ready to, to get started.
2: What types of tasks are your people your team's doing for clients you mean you talked about payroll what what else are people doing like at the extremes are is it just admin or are they doing
0: Uh, i think as a best practice approach we would start very much lower working lower on the skills ladder yeah and as the trust develops what you see is that actually these guys are a lot more capable than just giving them the low uh, skilled level tasks so um, we work higher up the skills ladder and to give you an idea, you know, one where the educational background might be a BS in business administration, they advance to running a full set of books as a bookkeeper for our customers um, to, you know, hiring CPAs, working as accountants um, for our finance clients. But, you know, in the digital space, you um, architectural engineering um, space where we're doing retouching of fo- photo editing for real estate photos, draft uh, CAD design for floor plans um, for real estate, tech support for SAS software providers, um, tourism's a big thing for us as well. which uh, obviously really took a hit with COVID, but they're bouncing back. So, yeah, we work with some law firms, mostly paralegal work, so 80, 24 Putting all the contracts together, compiling all the data, and then uh, sending it back for the lawyer to put the rubber stamp on and make it legible.
2: Very good, Mike. This might be a personal. It might be a, It might relate to COVID. It might relate to uh, tornado. But what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier?
0: Probably the most re- recent and relevant would be in response to the typhoon. Just, just how prepared. One should be for a calamity, you know. Uh, I thought we were well prepared, but there's there's a lot more that we could be doing from a business continuity perspective and, and preparedness for the worst uh, case scenarios.
2: What might be some of those takeaways for people is that is that like have a plan and rehearse it. Do you think is that
0: definitely? Yeah, for sure. So also looking at um, having. Yeah, rehearse the plan, but also looking at having another building uh, to operate out of rather than just um, yeah, having one building, having a, a, another building. So from business continuity perspective, so we're looking at that. Just today we were looking at that, so looking forward to opening an office in, in
2: another building. And uh, maybe some book recommendations. You, you mentioned right at the beginning, Vern Harnish is scaling up what else have you read along the way on your journey or what's inspired you or even what are you just reading at the moment Rockefeller habits yeah yep yeah verne's about to re-release that as a 20th anniversary edition it's incredible i've got i've got a first edition on the shelf here that i had bought when i was at rackspace 20 years ago amazing
0: melting pots pretty good you familiar with that one (laughs) indeed but yeah for me at the moment it's just the um, extension of obviously scaling up we're imp- implementing that in um, in our work with you but you know to complement that the rockefeller habits i'm interested in yeah in the new edition of that i wasn't aware that was happening so thank you for
2: that if people are thinking about making a based on what you know in the business that you run what is one action you think people should take tomorrow having listened to this
0: Documenting processes is important um, from a learning and growth perspective, but just putting high value on you know, the working conditions that you that you uh, provision for your staff. Um, we've all heard of the bit, the great resignation at the moment. We're certainly not experiencing that, <laughs> um, and I think that's attributed to how we you know, the, the provisioning our purpose, which was to enrich the lives of our of our workforce, but then also giving them um, you know a career that uh, is meaningful and fulfilling.
2: Mike that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for giving us your time from Cebu today and being on the show.
0: Thanks Tom.